This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. Thanks for joining me this Wednesday. Our first story comes from Under Arrest this week. We'll hear the spook of Sherwood Mansion from August 1st, 1948. After that, it's Barry Craig, confidential investigator, and Crimson Queen, his story from January 4th, 1953. Mutual presents Under Arrest. Into your cell! Criminals Behind Bars, Under Arrest, the story of police captain Jim Scott's fight against crime. Hello? Susan Webb speaking. Miss Webb, this is Janice Sherwood. Oh, oh yes, Miss Sherwood. I feel a little foolish, but I'd like to ask you a favor. Do what I can. It's something I don't want to talk to the police about. They've been so kind, and they've really done everything. Has something new happened? I mean, has there been another ghost? It's the same one, I think. Oh, I know it sounds as though I'm imagining things, but if you heard the same things I hear, and if you saw the same things I see, well, what I mean is... Would you spend the night at my house tonight, Miss Webb? I think you've got a very good idea there. In fact, I'd love to. Busy, Captain Scott? Just a little, but come on in. How are you and the Times Herald coming with your haunted house? Well, so far, I've, I've been able to build it into one of those three-day wonders. Is that bad? I wish you luck, but I think the only thing that's haunted is your girlfriend's skull. I don't blame you. Makes a good story. Maybe you can sell it to the movies. What are you featuring on your typewriter today? Nothing, except the ghost walked again last night. Shall I read it to you? Sure, shoot. What do you like my headline? Hmm? Spook of Sherwood Mansion defies housing shortage. Nice twist. Thanks. Invisible intruder beats rent gouges again. I like your angle. Janet Sherwood, whose parents, Mr. and Mrs. Douglas E. Sherwood, are vacationing in Europe, reports second visitation from unseen spirit at Old Sherwood Mansion on Madison Avenue. Disorder in library suggests literary leanings in supernatural snooper, but police find nothing missing. Mighty decent of you to mention us policemen, Miss Webb. Mighty decent. You think Janet Sherwood is just a crackpot, don't you? I think she's a highly imaginative young lady who shouldn't live in that big barn of a house all by herself. She ought to take a room in a hotel till her father and mother get back. Maybe right, but I've got news for you. What's that? I'm spending the night with her tonight. Well, I hope you have fun, but I'm afraid it'll be pretty dull. You don't believe her story at all. I think Miss Sherwood reads too many ghost stories. Maybe she even walks in her sleep. I sent a couple of men over there, and they couldn't find anything. But how about the library? Didn't they see the way the books were all pulled out? Well, maybe she pulled them out herself and forgot all about it. All I know is there's no evidence of robbery. Nothing's been beat up or murdered, so what are we supposed to do? Sit up all night and hold Miss Sherwood's hand? That's what I'm going to do tonight. <laughs> You'll do anything for a story, won't you? It's one way of making a living. All right. I'll tell the patrolman on the beat to keep an eye on the place.
the lights out and pretend to go to sleep? I guess we'd better. Gee, I'm glad you're here, Miss Webb. Why don't you call me Susan, Janet? Okay. You know, I just can't believe I imagined all these things. Well, let's see what happens. I'll switch off the light. Susan! Listen! I heard it too. There it is again. Oh. Oh, I think I know what that is. It's just a plain, ordinary alley cat. I guess you're right. I wish they'd stop. So do I. Cats can sound so terribly human. But I'm sure it's just cats. Oh, there, they're quieting down now, thank goodness. Let's just be quiet, too, and see if our ghost shows up. You don't believe my story, do you? Of course I believe your story. I believe there's a sensible explanation. I don't believe in ghosts, either. It, it, it's just that I'm sure I heard things, and... And all those books were pulled down in the library, and uh, and the police couldn't find well, anything. Well, if we hear anything tonight, maybe we can find out what it's all about. Oh, goodness, I'm sleepy. It'd be a fine thing if we both dozed off. I'm sleepy, too. Well, I'll keep pinching myself. anything? I'm not sure. Listen. There. I'm sure I heard something that time. What did it sound like? I don't know. It was like someone moving around down in the library. I guess the only thing to do is to go down and look. Should we call the police? Oh, we haven't much to go on. We, we might look pretty foolish. Uh, I guess you're right. Come on. We'll sneak down in the dark. Very quietly. There! What was that? I don't know. Look. Someone's using a flashlight. Yes, but they just turned it off. <laughs> Listen to that. Oh, what should we do? Stop. Listen. Whoever it is is gone. Where's the light switch? Right here. Susan. Look. Oh, good heavens. I wonder if he's dead. That's the door. I'll get it. Who can it be? It's probably the police car on the beat. He heard the shots. What do you make of it, Jim? Well, what I make of it is I should have taken your haunted house more seriously. You did all you could do. I, I don't blame you for thinking Janet Sherwood is a crackpot. I did myself, until it was too late. Well, we found out how the killer and his victim slipped by the patrolman. How? The service entrance is pretty dark, and it goes all the way through the next block. How did they get into the house? We found a skeleton key on the corpse that opened the basement door. Here's the funny thing. We also found that one of the basement windows had been jimmied, and we definitely know it hadn't been jimmied when we checked up before the murder. What do you make of that? Looks like the victim knew his way around and went in alone. Then the victim was the ghost. Yeah. The other guy must have followed him and didn't have a key and had to use the window. Any ideas on motive? No. But it looks like our ghost was sort of spooky at that. Look at this. What is it? Report from the medical examiner. Yeah. Examination of deceased head reveals evidence of extensive plastic... Su plastic surgery? Yeah. Had his face lifted. 
What about his fingerprints? Nothing on the records. Well, that's funny. You'd think if he'd had his face lifted, he'd be hiding from somebody. And if he's hiding, he must have a police record. Police isn't the only thing you hide from. Well, what was he after? What was he looking for? There never was anything missing. Yeah. I think I'll have another talk with Janet Sherwood. You don't want to come along, do you? <laughs> what do you think? Miss Sherwood, are you absolutely certain there's nothing missing? Well, I, I can't be absolutely sure. I've, I've checked everything I can think of. Well, what about the library? That's where it happened. Does your father have a hidden wall safe back in the bookshelves or anything like that? Father has a wall safe, but it's upstairs. What about the books? Are any of them especially valuable? He has some first editions, but I've, I've checked all those. Are there any books missing? Any kind of books? It's hard to be sure. that There are so many books, I wouldn't know whether one of them's missing or not. Yeah, like missing one neon sign on Broadway. Wait a minute. There's one book I never thought of. I, I just this minute remembered it. What's the book? You remember it, Susan. I, I brought it home from the office last night. You, you were kidding me about it. You mean that book about the haunted house? Yes. I, I've been too nervous to read it ever since I started hearing these noises. I left it at the office, and then last night I brought it home. Why did you decide to bring it home? Well, all, all the people at the office read the newspaper stories about my haunted house, and, and when they saw a book about a haunted house on my desk, they accused me of making up the story. Is it missing? I don't know. But I'm sure I left it right on top of the desk in the library. Let's look. Huh? It's not there. Maybe you put it somewhere else. No. No, I'm positive. That's where it was when you saw it. Do you remember? Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. What was the name of the book? It was La Vite Invisible. Huh? It was translated from the French, The Unseen Guest by Émile Bonnard. Oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is it your own book? Yes, I, I just bought it a few days ago. Before you heard the noises in the house or after? Just before. How did you happen to buy a book like that? Well, I always liked ghost stories, and until this happened... Where did you buy it? I saw it in the window of a little second-hand bookshop. What shop? In a little place on 15th Street. Had you ever been in there before? No. That's why he asked me for my name and address. He said he'd put me on his mailing list. Was that his idea or yours? Well, it was his. Hmm. You say it was a little place. You mean it was really small? Well, the shop was small, but it was packed with books. Just one man run it? Yes. He was a curious little man. I'd like to meet him. Maybe you'll introduce me to him. Why, sure. Any time. How about right now? Mr. Lerner, do you remember selling a book to this young lady? It was about three days ago. I probably did. I'd like to do better than that. Can't you answer yes or no? Uh, but so many customers come into my shop. Look, the book I bought was called The Unseen Guest by Emile Bonnard. Ah, yes. I do remember selling a copy of that book. Do you remember selling it to me? Well, to tell you the truth, You I... ought to remember. You asked her for her name and address. Ah, I remember her now, of course. You wanted her name and address for your mailing list. That is right. What do you send out to your mailing list, Mr. Lerner? Oh, little booklets, announcements of different books we get. May I see one of these booklets you send out? Well, you see, they have not come from the printers yet. What's the name of the printer? 
I have not decided which printer I will use. In other words, you haven't even ordered the booklets. Not yet. Hmm. How about the mailing list? Can I see that? It is not complete yet. How about letting me see it as far as it goes? It is just a, a few scribbled notes here and there. I see. May uh, I ask Mr. Lerner a question? Sure, Susan. Go ahead. Mr. Lerner, do you happen to have another copy of the book you sold, Miss Sherwood? I'm afraid not. It is quite an old book, and I don't get a copy of it very often. What's that on that shelf up there? Where? There. Looks like the same title. Well, let me see. Oh, so it is. I did not realize I had another copy. Anna Donnelly, will you, Mr. Lerner? Yes. I can just about reach uh, Just for the fun of it, let me see if you can reach it with your left arm. My left arm? But I'm not left-handed. Why should I use my left arm? Let's say I'm kind of curious about a bulge I see under your left arm. A bulge? Yes. There. That wouldn't be a gun, would it? <laughs> you are very observing, Captain. That is a gun. I suppose you have a permit. Oh, yes. There have been several hold-ups in this neighborhood, and I applied for a gun permit. May I see it? Well, certainly. Right here in this drawer. There, Captain. Thanks. Hmm. Okay, Mr. Lerner. I'm glad you have this permit. Of course. Otherwise, I would not have the gun. Let me have a look at your gun, Mr. Lerner. Very well. There. Hmm. Why are you so interested in my gun? I just wanted to see what kind of a bullet it shoots. Doesn't shoot the kind I'm interested in. May I ask what kind you are interested in? The kind you shoot ghosts with. Huh? You don't happen to have another gun, do you? Oh, no, no. Only this one. Okay. Put it away. Now, let's see that book. I did not realize I had this copy. Wait a minute. Where's your wrapping paper? Uh, a wrapping paper? Here it is, Jim. Yeah. Here. Put the book on this. You, you wish to buy it? No, no. I'll just borrow it. I have a friend who'd like to read it. He's an expert. An expert on thumbprints. Well, I seem to have drawn another blank. How do you mean, Jim? That book. There was an outside chance I'd find Janet Sherwood's fingerprints on it. That would have meant it was the same one missing from her home. And that wouldn't look so good for our friend Lerner. But we didn't find her prints. Why do you suppose he didn't want to admit he had another copy? Maybe he's telling the truth. Maybe he forgot he had it. Hmm. Are you sure it isn't the book we're looking for? How can you be sure? Could have wiped it clean, but... And why would he put it back on the shelves and then deny he had it? My hunch is it's not the book. But I've also got another hunch. What's the hunch? I don't think the book itself is very valuable. How do you mean? I mean, there it was sitting right in Lerner's window. Anybody who wanted it could pick it up for the price of a second-hand book. But as soon as Miss Sherwood buys it, the devil breaks loose and we end up with a murder. Well, I, I see what you mean, but it, it doesn't ring any bell with me. I don't see the angle. The only angle I see is that somebody slipped something into that book. A slip of paper or something. A 
They must have done it between the time Lerner took it out of the window and the time he wrapped it up and handed it to her. Now I'm beginning to catch up. But who else was in the store? Janet Sherwood says nobody. Ah, that makes Mr. Lerner look slightly behind the eight ball. Yeah. Doesn't get us anywhere because it's only a theory. You could probably work out six other theories just as good. But for now, I'll stick to this one. And suppose you're right, Jim. In that case, Mr. Lerner slipped something into the book because he wanted to get rid of it temporarily. And he took down Janet's name and address so he could get it back again. But somebody else wanted it, too. And when they met in the library, Lerner bumped him off. But you examined Lerner's gun. He could have had another one. How did the other man know Janet had the book? <laughs> he didn't have to know she had it. All he had to do was to keep following Lerner, and Lerner led him right to the Sherwood Library. Then why was it the murdered man had the skeleton key? Lerner could have planted it on him just to get rid of it. How about fingerprints? It was wiped clean. That's why I think it was planted. Otherwise, it would have had the victim's prints on it. Well, it makes a picture, but as you say, it's all theory. Nothing gets your teeth into it. Yeah, but the beauty of it is, if it's right, it'll pay off and pay off fast. If it's wrong, I'm just a dumb cop. But if it pays off, why do you think it'll pay off fast? Because you're going to help me. Me? How? You're going to write a big exclusive feature story for your newspaper. Tell me more. You're going to scoop the whole field on that little talk we had with Mr. Lerner. Only you're not going to mention his name or address. All you're going to say is a certain little man who runs a certain little bookshop, sold a certain book, and a certain character whose face was loaded with plastic surgery got bumped off. And here, look these two. Look at these. What are they? Pictures of the victim before he had his face lifted. Where'd you get them? Had an artist working with our medical examiner, reconstructing the face to show what it might have looked like before it was changed. Smart idea. Okay, go to it. And by the way... What? Be sure you put your name at the top of this story. Oh, I always do, don't I? Yeah, but you might forget. I wouldn't want that to happen on this one. This will probably be the most important byline you'll ever write. What makes you think so? I have an idea. Somebody's going to ask you for the name and address of the little bookshop. And if they do, you give it to them. But don't. Let him get out of your sight. Yes? You are Miss Susan Webb. Yes, I'm Miss Webb. I must apologize for calling at your apartment in the evening, but I did not think it wise to interrupt you at your office. What's it about? Actually, it's a personal matter. I would like to ask a favor. May I come in for just a moment? Yes. Come in. Thank you so much. You are Miss Susan Webb of the Times Herald, are you not? Yes. That's where I work. Oh, this is a lovely apartment. Yes. It's very nice. So high up, too. It's cool in the summer. Quite a view from the windows. On a clear day, it's a wonderful view. It's a long way down to the street. Does it ever make you nervous to look down to the street? Oh, no. I'm used to it. Good for you. Well, this favor I would like to... How did you know where I live? Oh, very simple. I had only to refer to the telephone book. Oh, I see. Fortunately, you live alone. Otherwise, your telephone might have been in your husband's name. You do live alone, don't you? Oh, yes. All alone. 
Well, I read your piece in the newspaper about the little bookshop. It was very interesting. Thank you. You see, I'm very interested in bookshops. I know quite a few of them because I'm always collecting books and I never know where I will find something I'm looking for. Sort of a uh, hobby? Yes. I thought perhaps if you would give me the name and address of this shop you mentioned, I might find it an excellent place to look around. I'll be glad to give it to you. It's run by Mr. Maxine Lerner at 103 East 15th Street. Ah, I'll write that down. Mr. Maxine Lerner. Yes, 103 East 15th Street. 103 East 15th Street. That's right. Thank you very much. You don't happen to know Mr. Lerner's home address? Yes, he lives over the shop. The shop is part of his house. Splendid. Leaving town in the morning, and I might telephone him tonight about some books I'm trying to locate. I have his telephone number. That would be very kind. Would you like to phone him now? You, you can use my phone. Oh, I wouldn't think of troubling you. I'll just take down the number. It's Chestnut 4607. Chestnut 4607. Yes. You've been most helpful, Miss Webb. Not at all, Mr. Franklin. Paul Franklin. Very glad I could help you, Mr. Franklin. I'm most grateful. Goodbye. Goodbye, Miss Webb. Who is there? Who is there? Oh, I'll take your gun. You won't need it. Now, go in and we'll close the door. What is this? We will go into a back room and then you will switch off the lights in the store. And don't try to be clever. Now, Mr. Lerner, I would like to have the formula. What formula? The new atom formula, which you are hoping to sell for a great deal of money. I do not know what you are talking about. Come now, Mr. Lerner. It seems that you and I are in the same business. I still do not know what you mean. Just to show you I know what I'm talking about, I'll tell you about my business. Then I'll tell you about yours. My business is very simple. I am a thief. I steal all kinds of secrets. Secrets about new materials of war. Secrets about new defenses and new weapons. Then, when I have stolen these secrets, I sell them to whoever will pay me the most money. Does that sound anything like the business you are in, Mr. Lerner? I am in the business of selling books. I will refresh your recollection. A short time ago, there was a new and secret atom formula developed, and my partner and I tried to steal it, but someone got there ahead of us. Then my partner picked up the trail of this person who got there ahead of us, and I believe he would have succeeded in getting the formula, only this person murdered him in the library of someone named Sherwood. Does that sound familiar to you? Why don't you tell that to the police? They would like to know who the murdered man was. He was a famous international spy, but he became too famous. That's why he had his face lifted. What does all this have to do with me? He was my partner, but I didn't know what happened to him. Now I know. Now you know what? Thanks to the article I read in the paper, I know that you killed him. Because I think you are in the same business that I am. It is not true. You probably saw him watching you from outside your shop, and just then a young lady came in, so you slipped the formula inside the book you sold her and took her name and address. Then my partner followed you, and when you recovered the formula, he tried to get it, and you killed him. Ah, that is a lot of nonsense. In that case, let's talk sense. I think you are in the business of stealing and selling secrets the same as I am. All right. 
Suppose we say you stole the atom secret, and suppose we say I will buy it from you. You will buy it? I thought you said you tried to steal it. That is correct, but since I couldn't steal it, I will have to buy it. It's a very good proposition for you, Mr. Lerner. The police are already suspicious of you. It would be very difficult for you to make contacts. But here I am, with plenty of money, ready to do business. And there's another point. What is that? If you decide you don't want to do business with me, I may decide to kill you. Kill me? Why? Because I've been too frank with you. Because now you know who I am, and I don't like that. I see. How much will you pay? $100,000. In cash? In cold American dollars. And I think, since you haven't much choice, I'm being very fair. Show me the money. Show me the formula. It is here, in this book. <laughs> Favorite hiding place. Let me see it. It is the real thing. This is it. Now the money. I hate to part with money, Mr. Lerner. You hate to part with money? Yes, money is so valuable. And bullets are so cheap. Bullets? Yes, bullets. You seem to be waiting for someone, Miss Webb. What if I am? I think you followed me in your car. In that case, we will use your car instead of mine, and you can be the chauffeur. Step on it. This gun has several more bullets in it. I knew you would follow me, Miss Webb. Did you? That's why I came directly to the little shop. And since you were so afraid you might lose my trail, you didn't stop to telephone, Captain Scott. Oh, no? Just so happens I phoned him while you were in the bookshop. I think that is a lie. You were afraid to look for a public telephone for fear I might come out of the shop and get away. What makes you so sure? Common sense. Keep straight over 15th Street and then down the drive to the tunnel. Where are we headed for? For the airport. Drive carefully, Miss Webb. You're almost there, Miss Webb, and you are about to have an accident. An accident? Open the door on your side. You're about to fall out at 70 miles an hour. Get your hands off that wheel. I'll drive us both into the nearest telephone I think I'm a little stronger than you are. You get your hands off. See the that or get a bullet. I'll take the bullet. Let go of me. Miss Webb, there's something ahead. A roadblock. Turn the car around. 70 miles an hour? Slow it up and turn around. Wait. Don't turn. There's someone behind us. Try to go through the roadblock. Oh, Yeah. The boys will get him. He's out like a light. Must have conked himself on the windshield. Oh, I thought we'd both go through it when I slammed on those brakes. You all right? Yeah. I had a chance to get set for it. Where did that roadblock come from? When I saw you head for the tunnel, I figured on the airport, so I got the guard at the toll station to phone ahead. How did you pick up my trail? I never got a chance to phone you. You told me not to take my eyes off you. That's right. Captain Scott? Yes, officer? We just called the detail we left at the bookshop. Lerner was still alive, gave the whole story before he died. Told him this character we just picked up has a stolen atom formula. Here it is. Adam formula. So my hunch was right. Wow. Wow and double wow. But you haven't answered my question. What's that? How did you pick up my trail? I couldn't take my eyes off him long enough to phone you. So what? All I had to do was just not take my eyes off you. 
under arrest. All prisoners present and accounted for. You have just heard Under Arrest, presented by Mutual, a new series featuring Joe DeSantis as police captain Jim Scott. Under Arrest is directed by Martin Martner and written by Thornton Leonard. Original music is composed and played by Milton Kane. Susan Webb was played by Margaret Draper. Janet by Patricia Courtley. Lerner by Guy Rep. Paul by Alan Hewitt. All names of persons used in Under Arrest are fictitious. Any resemblance to names of actual persons, living or dead, is coincidental. And now, may I have a moment to tip you off to radio's most entertaining prize-giving program, in which the prizes are large sums of good old United States currency. I'm referring to Three for the Money, which is presented by Mutual over many of these stations every Saturday night. Here you have the music by Mark Warner, Mary Small, Russ Emery, a swell dancing party one hour long. And while you enjoy this grand entertainment, comes your chance to play a simple telephone game, the three-for-the-money game everyone's talking about. It's easy to play, it's easy to win, and the cash prizes can run as high as $50,000. For your chance to win big money, our advice is stay by your telephone Saturday night and stay tuned to a mutual station for good luck, for good listening, for three for the money. Ralph Paul speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Stay with us for What Makes You Tick, which follows in a moment. Romo Seltzer and NBC bring you William Gargan, starring as Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. The major trouble with murder as a career is that it has no future. You come pretty quickly to the end of your rope, and usually it's around your neck. Romo Seltzer, famous for fast relief of headache and upset stomach, and the National Broadcasting Company present William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. This is Bill Gargan. Before I tell you about tonight's story, which I call The Crimson Queen, Here's a word from Bromo Seltzer, famous for fast relief of upset stomach as well as headache. Miss Jordan, report to clinic. Miss Jordan, report to clinic. Miss Jordan. In a recent clinical test, eight out of ten nurses reported that for upset stomach, Bromo Seltzer works best. Actually, Bromo Seltzer relieved distress of upset stomach better, more effectively than any of the five leading upset stomach remedies which were studied. You see, sparkling, refreshing Bromo Seltzer contains sodium citrate, one of the finest ingredients known to doctors for the relief of acid indigestion. And only Bromo Seltzer gently relieves nervous tension so often associated with upset stomach. 
So remember... Eight out of ten nurses report for upset stomach. Bromo Seltzer works best. Next time, for prompt relief of upset stomach as well as headache, take Bromo Seltzer, the one leading remedy proved best by a recent clinical test. For best results, use cool water. Follow the label. Avoid excessive use. And remember... Eight out of ten nurses report for upset stomach. Bromo Seltzer works best. Barry Craig speaking. Wintertime and the nights may be longer, but if you're a confidential investigator like I am... This does you very little good, except that it gets you out of your office that much quicker. But in my case, it generally gets me over to Willie's wagon, which isn't bad. It's warm there, the windows are steamed over. There's a feeling of being protected against the wind and snow and cold. The only trouble is, there's also Willie's food. Craig. Yes, Willie? I ever make cracks about your investigating? No. Then lay off my food. I'd like to. I'm at the cracks. What's the matter with that hamburger you're waking on? I don't think it's completely dead. Then drink some coffee. That'll kill it. What'll it do to me? You ain't had a stomach lining for ten years. What are you worrying about? Touche. Touche. Eh, some days you can't make a nickel. Hey, what do you know? Maybe a cash customer. Hey, there's something wrong Mr. with this. Mr. Craig. Yes? My, my name is Hanson. Peter Hanson. I... Hey, you better grab a stool. You look... No, no, never, never mind. I was at your office. Elevator men told me I might find you here. Jake was right. Well, I want to, to retain you. Well, that's not hard, want, but... I want to retain you to, to find... To find... Yes? Uh, my murderer. Oh. Hey, he passed out. Yeah. Way out. What? He was holding the front of his coat together with one hand. It's open now. So what? Oh, that's blood. A knife wound. Blood's still coming out, which means he was stabbed not very long ago. Something in his other hand. If I can get it out. Yeah. What is it? Part of a chess set. A queen. A crimson queen. Peter Hansen had come to Willie's wagon with a fatal wound in his chest and a crimson queen gripped tightly in his hand. Peter Hansen had come to Willie's wagon to die there and had died. You want I should call the cops? In a minute. They might not like you going through his pockets. Who's going to tell him about it? Okay, but... He was my client. Not for long. Didn't pay him much either. Bargain basement tonight. All right. You can notify the police now. Find anything on him? Just an address. Some days nobody can make a nickel. Uh, hey, you leaving? Yeah. Well, should I tell the cops you were here? Sure. And where shall I tell them you went? Where? Tell them I went looking for uh, a chess game. Peter Hansen's house ran to a barbered lawn, ivy on the walls, and uh, a butler in the doorway. 
Good evening, sir. Good evening. Uh, you wish to see... Mr. Hanson. Come in, sir. Uh, who shall I say is... Barry Craig. Very good, Mr. Craig. I'll tell Mr. Hanson you're here. Oh, wait a minute. You're sure he's in? Oh, yes, sir. Mr. Hanson's in the study. Doing what? Playing chess, sir. I didn't like to call the butler a liar, so low-bred. On the other hand, I was pretty sure I hadn't been dreaming. I decided to be low-bred. You could be mistaken. Oh, no, sir. If you'll wait here... I'd get lonely. So let's go to the study together, huh? But, uh... Or shall I try it all by myself? Very well. Yes, sir. Uh, that is... That is, uh, lead the way. Well, this is most... M most sure it is. You just think harshly of me. Maybe that'll make you feel better. I don't know what Mr. Hanson will say. Funny, but I've got a feeling he won't say anything. Is that the door to the study? Uh, yes, sir, I'll... No, no, no. You go back to the pantry or wherever it is butlers hang out. I couldn't... A brawl would be even worse, wouldn't it? I... I suppose so. What's your name? Groves, sir. Goodbye, Groves. I opened the door of the study and walked in. Nobody noticed me. It was the kind of room that looks maybe a little hackneyed after you've seen enough English pictures. But I guess the movies got the idea from someplace. There was a small table over at the far end near the fireplace. There was a chessboard on the table covered with chess pieces. And there was a chess game going on. Yes, uh, yes, Groves, what is it? Oh, this isn't Groves. Then go away. I can't be disturbed. My bishop's in a dreadful position. So's Peter Hansen. What? Oh, you're... you're not Groves. I already mentioned that. If you'd looked up from the board a little quicker... Who are you? Barry Craig. Groves had orders I not... cancelled them. I threatened to start a brawl. <laughs> well, everybody knows who I am. I don't know who anybody is. Then why come here? You can do something besides play chess and laugh. Yes. I didn't exactly mean... You meant introducing people to people. Uh-huh. I'm Mona Bailey, and he is Walter Hanson. How do you do? Well, now that that's been taken care of... We're just uh... beginning, Mr. Hanson. This is your house? Oh, nonsense. Sorry. Peter is the wealthy one. Your brother? Of course he's my brother. There's a resemblance. Well, naturally there would be. Um, you said something about Peter before, didn't you? Yes, I said he was in a bad position. Uh, you said, to be precise, that he was in a worse position than my bishop. I'm about to lose my bishop. You've already lost your brother. I tried hard to watch both Walter Hanson and the girl when I let that one go. I had some idea about analyzing the expressions on their faces. It didn't work. Walter had no expression, and Mona's face was uh, not the face of a woman you'd expect to find spending a long winter evening playing chess. Apparently, your message is of some importance. I'm not quite sure of its meaning. Nothing fancy about it. Your brother's dead. Oh, dear. Wouldn't uh, you like to add a little something to that outburst of wild grief, Miss Bailey? Mrs. Bailey. My mistake. Not a very serious one. My husband's dead. So you turn to chess? I have quite a strong feeling that all this is, uh, this conversation is improper. 
You uh, may be right. Peter's death is, of course, a, a great shock. A very great shock. You've said so. But uh, how did he die? Automobile accident or... Uh... Heart failure. Oh? Strange, though. I had no idea Peter's heart was weak. It wasn't until someone stuck a knife in it. The pair of them were good. Very good. All they did was stare politely at me. I might have just told them the fuchsias in the greenhouse were suffering from a spot of blight or, or maybe mildew. How distressing. Yes. On the other hand, uh, now you're the wealthy brother. Why, yes. Yes, now that you mention it. Oh, but only half as wealthy. Who gets the other half? I do. Peter Hansen left you half as dull because you play such good chess? I was married to his sister's only child. Oh, that's good. Keeps it the family. Walter over there was in quite a hurry to let me know you had as good a reason as he had for... Murdering uh... Peter? But how could either of us have murdered him? He was alive when he left the house. When? Oh, about an hour ago. And we, uh, Walter and I, have been here ever since. Together? Together. That right, Mr. Hanson? Of course it is. Playing chess? Yes. The number of moves both of you made figures. Your bishop is in a bad position, Mr. Hanson. I know it. But, Mrs. Bailey... Yes? Where's your red queen? Mona Bailey had the red pieces, minus a couple of pawns which were lying at the side of the board. And a red queen, which wasn't anywhere as I could see. But then I already knew where it was. I lost it. Careless of you to go shopping with it. <laughs> I meant Walter took it. That means it would be off the board, but... Well, uh... I, I was so angry with myself, I... Threw it in the fire. A wild impulse? Well, I suppose you see I've quite a temper. Sure. Only thing is, uh, your queen file hasn't been opened yet. It would have been impossible for any white piece to take it. I like the kind of detectives they have on radio much better. What kind's that? The kind that doesn't know anything about chess. Still, Walter will confirm my anecdote, won't he, dear? Of course. You became angry and threw it in the fire. The Red Queen. The Red Queen. Wouldn't it be a shame if it turned up someplace else? Good night. Uh, wait, don't... Uh, pay no attention to him, my dear. He... I can't let him go without... Oh. You uh, better answer that. It'll be the police. They'll have news for you. Except it won't be news, will it? I left the study and went down the hall to the front door. Somewhere behind me, someone was answering a telephone. And someone else was slamming a door. I didn't pay attention. I got to the front door and went through it. The lawn was still as neatly barbered, and the moonlight lay smooth and cold on it. I started across it, and back in the house, somebody opened a window. But not to let some fresh air in. to Barry Craig in just a moment. In these uncertain times, it's hard to plan for the future. But more and more American girls are discovering a career that offers both opportunity and security. That career is in modern nursing. You may have old-fashioned ideas about the profession of nursing, and if you do, you owe it to yourself to find out just what this field offers you today. 
There are new and greater opportunities in this job now than ever before. Today's student nurse receives a valuable professional education, works with interesting and friendly associations. And when your training is completed, there are jobs waiting with airlines, with the Red Cross, in foreign service, with the armed forces, and in many industries. The demand for nurses is continually increasing. To become a student nurse, you must be a high school graduate or a college student of good health and character. If you can qualify, get full information at the nearest hospital in your community. And now back to William Gargan, starring as Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. I'm not crazy about the great outdoors, but when you're being shot at, you've got room to move. I moved. That lawn had been overdone. The bushes at the edge looked like home, but home was far away. But I got there. The barrage gave up. I shot a look at the house, but the marksman hadn't put the lights on behind that open window. And at this distance, I couldn't tell which window it was. I thought for a minute of going back to the house and getting indignant. It was a very short minute. Then I started moving away from the house. Jake. Jake. Stop shouting. I had to wake you up. Wasn't asleep. Your eyes were shut and your mouth was open. That's so? That's so. I was concentrating. On what? Springtime. It happens to be the middle of the winter. That's what makes it hard. You know, Jake, there are times when I don't think you're the best elevator man in the world. Uh, you should have seen me farming in Vermont. Why? I was even worse at that. You going upstairs at this hour of the night? No, but I've got a question for you. You sent a man over to Willie's wagon earlier tonight. Uh, yeah. Small man, perhaps around 60, pink and white complexion, gray hat, gray overcoat. Name of Peter Hansen. That's right. He said he wanted to see me. Yeah. What time was it? Oh, around 8.30. Which would be about right. Fifteen minutes for him to get to Willie's wagon, give or take five, and... Jake. Yeah? Did he look all right to you? Looked beautiful. What does that mean? Dollar tip. Aside from that. I didn't notice anything wrong. That's not positive enough. Jake, did he have his coat open when he was in here? Yeah, he had to. Why? To get at that dollar. That's what I wanted to know. It means he was stabbed on his way from here to the wagon, not before. Does, eh? Has to be that way. This fellow stabbed bad? Bad as you can be. Jake, did he mention why he wanted to see me? No. Reason's obvious enough by now. Good night, Jake. Good night. Well, Mr. Craig, you ain't going up? I'm going home, I think. Getting old? Mm, no more than usual. Why? I'm getting old more than usual, but I still wouldn't go home. What would you do? I'd go up to my office. There's someone up in the office? Yeah. Got here a couple of minutes before you did. Did he mention his name? She didn't. She? What did she look like? Springtime. Mona Bailey. Oh, that what they calling it this year? Thanks, Jake. You ain't using the elevator? No, the stairs. You need exercise? 
I need to make sure she doesn't know I'm on my way. I could be wrong, but she might be here to finish an unfinished job. Three flights aren't a lot to climb, but they took me longer than you'd think. Of course, Mona Bailey might not have been the marksman behind the open window, but the odds weren't too good. And when someone has decided you make a lovely target, you need all the odds there are. Even if she reminds a night elevator man of springtime. I pushed the door open, but didn't use the doorway. Not for a couple of seconds. Nothing happened. I called myself a coward and walked through the doorway. Mona Bailey had whirled in the chair as I came through the doorway, and she wasn't holding a chess piece in her hand. Hello. Mr. Craig. Please don't call all this a coincidence. Oh, it isn't. Thanks. That gun in your hand might be a mistake, though. Not really. You see, I didn't know who'd be coming through that door. And now that you know... I'll put the gun away. In the pocket of your coat. Well, a girl never knows when she might need a gun. As, for example, uh, at 8.30 this evening? Is that when Peter Hansen was killed? Roughly. Weren't you watching the time? You're being unkind. Are you always unkind? Call it self-defense. What did you want here? I might have wanted to see you again. So soon? We weren't alone the last time we met. We weren't close enough then for me to notice your perfume. And now you've noticed it? I'll remember it when I get to be as old as Jake. That's too long to wait. I'll wait. Until you tell me why you searched the office. I... You didn't get a chance to close a couple of the desk drawers. You might have left them open. I might have, but I didn't. Good night, Mr. Craig. You're jumping cues. There's more conversation coming. Noticing those desk drawers, Mr. Craig, while I was close to you, is insulting. Call it an occupational disease. What were you looking for? A red queen? I told you I threw it in the fire. Peter Hansen's right hand wasn't singed. Singed? As it would have been had he pulled the queen he was holding when he died out of the fire. Oh. I don't have it. By now the police do. You try your story on them, they won't bother tying up loose ends. They'll arrest me? What do you think? What should I do? You were playing chess with Peter Hansen. Say at eight. Then what? He said he had an appointment and left. So the Walter took his place at the board. And played with you? Yes. Without a queen? Still no good. Peter Hansen left. Where was Walter Hansen at the time? In his room, I guess. And he didn't join you till when? Nearly nine. Therefore, he can't alibi you? No. After I walked out of the handsome house before, uh, what did you do? I went to get my things. I knew I'd have to follow you. I hoped I'd be able to get here before you did, so I could look for the queen. I thought you had it. You sure you didn't stop to slow me up by firing a few bullets at me? I didn't. Any witnesses to what you say happened? How could there be? I wouldn't know. We might try finding out. Come here to the window. Stay to one side, though. All right. That car across the street. Yours? I came by cab. Recognize the car? It's the Hanson car. It belonged, like everything else, to Peter. Know who's driving it? I can't see from up here. 
How would you like a chance to convince me that, uh, that the perfume you use isn't something to forget? I'd like such a chance. Okay. Walk out of here, go downstairs, and walk out of the building and north along Madison a few blocks. Then take a cab home. That, that's all? That's all. All right, but I... Don't worry. There'll be another installment. She used the elevator, I used the stairs. That let me get down to the lobby and behind a curtain before she made it. She went out of the building and walked north along Madison Avenue. The car on the opposite side of the street didn't move. That meant more work for me. The back alley was dark and cold. But it let me out half a block down from the entrance, half a block down and behind the waiting car. I crossed the street fast and moved in. The boy in the car was too busy watching the building entrance. I got the door open, reached in and... Go on. I hope this hurts. He lost interest for a while. I slid into the seat beside him and went through his pockets. I found the gun without any trouble. It was still faintly warm. I broke the gun and found two bullets left. He hadn't bothered reloading. Who? The butler, Groves, of course. Oh. <laughs> Wake up. You can't stay in a coma forever, Groves. What? Oh, Mr. Craig. Mr. Craig. Don't bother reaching for anything. I've got the gun. Yes, sir. Think you're up to driving? Yes, sir. Then let's get started. Very well, sir. To, uh, to the police, sir. Don't rush things. Let's make it the house first. You really should give your employers notice, shouldn't you? Groves. Yes, sir? How long has it been going on? How long has what been going on? The thefts from the house. That, that tells me there have been thefts, but it doesn't tell me how long. Peter Hansen was a selfish, grasping Don't old man. Don't speak ill of the dead. Why not? After they've done ill to the living. Meaning who? Miss Mona, sir. He wouldn't give her anything. Let her live the way she wanted to live. So she stole. I don't know, sir. But if she did, what matter? It was coming to her anyway. Half of it, as soon as Mr. Hansen died. She should have been patient. I know it doesn't look good for her. I overheard back at the house, but... Uh... That's why you took those pot shots at me? I... Yes, sir. And while you were waiting outside the building. Okay. Rose, Peter Hansen was crazy about chess, wasn't he? Yes, sir. A man as rich as that would own a fine set. Ivory. Antique and expensive. He does, sir. You mean he did? The Red Queen I found in his hand was wood. So was the set it came from. I... I don't know, sir. I can guess. He found out tonight that someone had stolen the ivory set and substituted a wooden one for it. That's why he was coming to me with a specimen. He wanted me to trace it so he could prove who'd stolen the ivory set. Oh, you better stop. We're at the house. Don't bother knocking. It'll be the study. Yeah, but this time you come in with me. 
Yes, sir. He didn't have a chance to use up the last two bullets, Mrs. Bailey. What last two bullets? What's going on? Groves tried to murder me, Mr. Hanson. He did? Dreadful, but, but, but why? He's afraid I might pin the killing of Peter Hanson on Mrs. Bailey. Oh, really? But she couldn't have killed him, uh, could she? Are you asking me? Well, you, you seem to know. Well, how about that alibi you handed her? Well, I, uh... I didn't want any unpleasantness, but, uh, well, if you have other evidence, uh, have you? I have. Then I'm afraid I shall have to admit we we weren't together all the time. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even home. I know you weren't. Now, you can't blame me for trying to shield Mona. Oh, I can't. What I'm blaming you for is trying to hang the killing on her. <laughs> hang the killing on her? Why, you're, you're mad. Why would I do that? You might object to being electrocuted. It's unpleasant. Electrocuted? For what? The murder of your brother. Now, double. I got his arm before he could get at the gun he was carrying. It was only a flesh wound, but he was a sensitive type. He fainted. The police revived him. Well, that would seem to be that. Yeah. You didn't really have any proof against him. He was anxious to tell me you were a suspect, in a hurry. He set up the alibi and made it look as though he were lying for your benefit. He didn't try very hard to make the lie sound good. Why? Because he didn't want it believed. That gave me enough to go on. I don't think it was nearly enough. Also, uh... Yes, Barry. He uh, wouldn't make anyone dream of the springtime. You've been listening to William Gorkin in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, The Crimson Queen, was written by Lou Vittis. Next week, it's the strange story titled The Vanished Lady, about which Barry Craig has this to say. Next week, a laughing killer finds the laugh is on himself. A blonde turns gray when a corpse comes to life. And a gunsmith finds that shooting off his mouth can be fatal. Good night, folks. See you next week. Bromo Seltzer, famous for fast relief of headache and upset stomach, and the National Broadcasting Company have presented Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator, starring William Gargan. Featured in the role of Mona was Barbara Weeks. Carl Caruso speaking. There's more to a child in an iron lung than meets the eye. Beside her is American sympathy. And these are the days that sympathy becomes action as all America joins the 1953 March of Dimes. Your dimes and dollars sent to your local March of Dimes headquarters today promise all prisoners of polio a brighter tomorrow. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. 
There's more from Under Arrest, Barry Craig, Case Closed, and all of the other Relic Radio podcasts at relicradio.com. Thousands of episodes to listen to there and a shoutcast stream, all made possible by your support. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. You are what keeps all of this going. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back next Wednesday with another episode of Case Closed. <laughs>